then I haven't looked back to be fair. I, I left like law as a career path and I went into privacy. And, you know, from there I went to where I am now at One Trust Data Guidance. Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZN Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. And welcome to the Privacy Pros podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a data privacy analyst at Kazian Privacy Experts. I'm primarily responsible for conducting research on current and upcoming legislation, as well as key developments and decisions by supervisory authorities. My co-host today is Jamal Ahmed, who is a fellow of information privacy and CEO at Kazian Privacy Experts. He is a leading global privacy professional, world-class trainer and lead mentor at the Privacy Pros Academy. Welcome, Jamal. Hi, Jamila. I'm looking forward to speaking to Alex today. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about Alex? So our guest today is Alex Fatani, a privacy analyst for the Americas and the Caribbean at OneTrust Data Guidance, where he's also the project lead for data breach notification, vendor privacy contracts and cybersecurity. He has an LLB from the University of Westminster. Alex is also the privacy and events lead for Consortium Network, a network of more than 15 organisations aiming to have Muslim professionals to be at the forefront in contributing to the UK being the best place to live, work and invest in. Welcome, Alex. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's uh, an honour to be here and I look forward to it. Thank you. And as we always start off on these podcasts with an icebreaker, if you could choose any famous person to have dinner with, who would it be and why? Oh, I've actually had this question before. Oh, that's a tough one. That actually caught me by quite a big surprise, to be fair. There's just names running through my mind. I think one of them would be Arsene Wenger. To be fair, just to like understand. Okay, and I'm an to, this to podcast is over. Jamila, I thought you'd fan? done your research on our guests. What is going on here? <laughs> well, are you a Man United fan? <laughs> I am a Man United fan, yes. Look, we're both sleeping giants, let's just say that, that are in a coma right now. But as I was saying, <laughs> I would probably like to have convo with Arsene Wenger just to kind of understand what was probably going through his head when he was coming from Japan to the Premier League, what he was kind of dealing with psychologically when the entire press were like, Arsene who? And also like how it felt to win the Invincible Trophy when he said that he was going to do it and he actually did it. That's probably one. It's definitely a tough one, to be fair. Like there's just so many people throughout history, I guess, that you'd want to meet or speak to. Does that include history or is it just also... It includes uh... history, but we've only got the budget for one person, so Arsene Wenger's fine. All right, that's fine then. <laughs> <laughs> I was worried for a sec. So what first sparked your interest into data privacy? So it was actually my previous role. I was working as a paralegal for an association of nurseries, UK-wide. And it was just initially a standard paralegal role, just helping the legal team with leases and stuff like that. And then I come in and they were like, look, we also need a data protection assistant. 
like, well, I have no knowledge whatsoever about data protection or the principles. I just know about the right to be forgotten because I looked at a Google case once. And they were like, uh, good enough, I guess. <laughs> Their form of training for me was to read the ICO's guidance on the GDPR, which mm -hmm. is about 240 pages. Most people would look at that and be like, oh, my God. Oddly enough, that sparked my interest. Or to be fair, now it's a passion almost. And since then, I haven't looked back. To be fair, I left law as a career path and I went into privacy. And from there, I went to where I am now at One Trust Data Guidance. To come in there, Alex, when you was reading the documents from the ICO, the guidance, what was it about the content that really got you excited? I think it was more like the structure of the GDPR. I enjoyed it. Everything was so clear, simple to understand, consumer first. You know, the data subject comes first and then it's corporate interest. It just sparked my interest and I wanted to look into it more and more. I think once I got more hands-on with it at the association, I was starting to see like, okay, you know, I was enjoy reading it as a law, but then now I get to implement it. And then seeing your actions kind of implemented company-wide is always nice to see. Great. Thank you. And what is it that you love most about working in data privacy? I think it's probably that it's an area that's not stopping at any time you know i mean we're at a place now where what by 2030 i think 65 percent or 60 odd percent of the world will have a data privacy law almost some huge figure like that i think it was that i was like reading once it's definitely a market that has been in existence for a while but it's i guess ever since the gdpr kicked in it's really 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 now become quite aggressive in terms of everyone trying to basically be adequate so that definitely um, makes me really happy to be in this industry and to know that my work has an effect for companies or for entities in terms of just making it easier for them to be compliant with the law and kind of help organizations, be it in my role at OneTrust Data Guidance with the content that we provide or personally with the Muslim organizations. It's always nice to see direct contribution rather than just saying like, oh, yeah, just read the law. Alex, I have to ask you, so you work for one of the biggest data privacy solution providers in the world. In fact, it's the first data privacy solution provider to become a billion dollar company. And Inc. 500 recently said it's the fastest growing company in the world. Yep. What's it like to work for such a great company? It is great. It is honestly, as you can imagine, it's very busy. It's very exciting things that you know we've done and have accomplished is honestly amazing and it's an honor to honestly be part of that process the support that they give us is always really nice when i joined the role i always said to myself right this is my target i want to get a cippe or eventually get a cipm and once you say guidance they've been fully supportive of that and they've covered all the expenses that i would need in regards to getting what i now have as those two qualifications which i'm very proud of as well which were my little like targets for 2020 Congratulations and well done. Why do you think there's such a big emphasis on OneTrust for all of their team members to not just be competent, but also have the CIPPE and the CIPM qualifications? I mean, it's just the credibility, isn't it? It's that knowledge that you're dealing with an organization where from top to bottom, everyone knows what they're talking about. Everyone knows it's privacy. Awesome. What advice might you have for somebody who has aspirations of working for such an amazing company? I mean, keep at it. Just keep trying. Even if you're not able to the first time, at least like try and do some ad hoc work. There's plenty of organizations out there who definitely do need help. And if you're not able to break in at the big guys first, then many other companies that also need that help. But at OneTrust, like we're always you know, looking to get bigger and looking to expand our teams as well. So why not go for it?
don't hold yourself back. Even if you think like, oh, oh um, apply, just apply. The worst that can happen is you'll get a no, but at least you know you've applied that and you can learn from that experience as well. And Fantastic. aside from OneTrust, you're the privacy lead for consortium. So do yep. you think there are any unique challenges in data privacy presented by Muslim organizations? And can you tell us a bit more about consortium, please? I'll start with the consortium itself. So we are the, as far as I last heard, biggest umbrella network for Muslim organizations in Europe. We have member networks such as, you know, the British Islamic Medical Association, Cube Network, Emerald Network, the Association of Muslim Lawyers, the Muslim Engineers, Muslim Teachers. And so it is a very nice, diverse group of organizations, memberships and individuals. Each of them have their own privacy concerns. A lot of it is centered around marketing, but even outside of consortium, I deal a lot with my local mosque or, for example, um, uh, a friend recently is planning to start up his own online Quran teaching service, for example. And so he asked me to look into that. And, you know, I've helped Muslim counselors as well. It is challenging, I think, but that's putting it very lightly. I'm sure, uh, Jamal, you can also <laughs> vouch for this, that it's not easy because sometimes the approach can be quite almost stubborn. So I've had to kind of change my entire approach with dealing with such organizations where I felt that it's not really enough to just say, look, this is the law. If you don't register with the ICO, X can happen. If a data breach happens or a security incident happens, these are things you need to consider. As a starting point, that doesn't really help from my own experience. My own experience has been more like explaining privacy, but in their own language, highlighting the fact that, look, these people are giving you their personal information. For the sake of an example, a mosque is asking for donations. Mm -hmm. So they've got a little donation page on their website. They're asking for your card details, your expiry details, and then uh, name, for example, just to keep it nice and brief. If something were to then happen, it's not like people are going to be like, oh, you know, it's the mosque. It's okay. Like, yes, my bank account's been completely drained by hackers, but it's all right. It's my local mosque, so I can't really say anything. People are going to be very upset. People are going to be very angry. And out of those, however many people, there will be at least one person who will bring the attention to the ICO. And if mm -hmm. the ICO then recognizes, hang on, they're processing personal data and they're not even registered with us for one, you're just creating a massive mountain of problems for yourself. And so the term I use with them has always been amana, a trust. You know, these people are putting their trust in you as a Muslim organization, be it your charity, be it... And you know, end of the day, you're not going to be just held accountable to the regulators. You're going to be accountable to God. <laughs> end of the day, you're going to have to answer for whatever injustice that could happen to an individual because of your own negligence, because of leaving however many pieces of information unprotected or taking people's trust for granted. I mean, it's already bad enough that the GDPR has its own heavy fines, but <laughs> the fines of, of the day of judgment don't compare, to be honest. So, yeah, I mean, it, it has been quite an experience in that regard. Your views are very interesting on that, Alex, because we've been working with a number of faith-based organizations, and one of the resistances they have towards taking any steps towards compliance sometimes can be that, hang on a minute, we don't believe our supporters, we don't believe our community is going to even think about complaining about us. Yeah. But I remind them, it's not about that. It's about the trust that somebody places in you. We have something called the Amana Project, which is a dedicated business unit, which is just there to serve nonprofits in the faith-based organization space as well. And it's amazing how when you start educating these organizations and some of the trustees and senior stakeholders at these businesses, how they actually start realizing, hang on, this is actually about doing the right thing. 
And it's interesting you mentioned the Islamic perspective there. And uh, from my own research, and I've done a couple of webinars on this, is data privacy in Islam actually precedes the GDPR by about 1400 years. And (laughs) it's something that is actually taken very seriously. One's right to privacy is is embedded in basic Islamic principles. And when you say things like mosques and faith-based organizations that subscribe to that particular faith and then f- saying that GDPR or data privacy doesn't actually matter to their supporters, they actually haven't got a clue what they're talking about. Yeah, basically. They, all they see is a, a law and they're just like, whatever kind of thing. But they don't kind of like how, you know, what's that saying? Like, you know, you've, you just read the headline, but you didn't read the article. General data protection regulation. And they're just like, oh, whatever. It sounds like too high level or too nerdy for me or whatever. But then you read it and it's a simple law. It just clearly explains stuff. Be clear and concise with your data subjects. Have certain protections in place. No one's asking you to develop Fort Knox in a day. All it is, end of the day, is trust. You know, it is having that image that you know that when you do donate to a charity, that you can at least be rest assured donation is being used in the right way, but also your information has been used in the right way. I mean, if we even flip it, if an organization was then found out to be using people's money that they've been donating for the wrong purposes, there would be an uproar. So it should still be applied with your own data because that's your own personal information. I suddenly got emails from, you know, British Airways and EasyJet suddenly saying, thank you for booking your flight with us. I'm like, hang on a second, what's going on here? So why isn't it that way? It's a bit annoying. I feel like with time, more and more entities and people like ourselves, for example, getting more involved, privacy grassroots can make a difference in that space, especially. Yeah, (laughs) Moving back to you and your career, what would you say you are most proud of? So um, it's, I mean, as cliche as it is, it's hard to kind of pin down one thing. I think I mentioned previously, you know, supported at OneTrust to get that CIPM, CIPP. That was like a major, major target for me in 2020. So I was very, very happy to get that sorted, get that out of the way. And with some people, like it kind of shows that you know what you're talking about, but it's always nice to have that certification. It's always nice to have that proof that, okay, this guy knows his stuff because he's got X, Y, and Z. And I think another thing I was very proud of was obviously becoming data guidance to to get the three projects of data breach notification, vendor privacy contracts, and cybersecurity, and as well as like giving support to many other projects that we have at data guidance. It's always nice to be given that trust, again, using that word, by the, the organization itself. They can rely on me to handle those areas properly and make sure that we produce the right content for our clients. And I think one more thing I'll say was, in my previous role, being dramatic as I like to be, I kind of got all the heads of the department, put everyone in the room, and we got a retention policy, so a unified retention policy. But if you think that might be a bit too much, then I'm, look, I'm Iranian. I'm controversial as it is, so, you know. <laughs> One of my best friends is Iranian, right? And uh, when we go out, we go to the restaurant, and he asks them, you know, at the bottom of the rice pan, where the rice goes hard? Yes, yes. Like, that was the first time I've ever seen anyone ask for that. We normally, like, that is in the bin. That is... <laughs> Talk about trust and, and organizations, <laughs> and you're here wasting food. You're wasting literally. Why is it so crunchy? Well, rice. maybe you're not. Maybe you're not cooking the rice properly. <laughs> if it's like golden brown, and oh man, I didn't expect to get hungry during this broadcast. You know, we call it tadir, and it's just funny you even mentioned that. One of my closest friends, he's Middle Eastern, and every time he comes to London, he's like, "Let's go to an Iranian restaurant and get tadir." Like he'll make it a point right. to the waiter, like, "I want a separate plate of this." Jimmy, do you know what I'm about? No, I have no idea. Um, my housemate burnt rice for lunch today. So that's that, that doesn't count. <laughs> that does not count. I'm talking about if, if when it's golden brown, 
it's sometimes like in the middle of like fairly soft, but also crunchy. It works, man. It's tasty. It's good stuff. You know, definitely if you go to an Iranian restaurant again, you know, inshallah, post lockdown, I'll take you and I can give you some education. I'll give you some training for once. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> um, so what would you say is the greatest challenge you have faced in your career and how did you overcome it? Starting out, trying to adjust to everything was a bit of a challenge for me personally. And then like being in an organization and then you're kind of expected to kind of deal with every branch of different departments. Some departments are very open. I'm happy to deal with you and other departments are like oh you know we have to deal with this guy you know breaking through that initial barrier was a bit of a challenge i have to admit but in terms of like my experiences with data privacy like i have to say thankfully i haven't had too big of an issues like i've had moments where i've spoken to people and they've said like wait i have to do this and i'm like you know what, better you than me breaking through that barrier initially of kind of learning more about what that department is doing like how they're dealing with the information rather than finding out because something's happened. So you described the challenge. You said it was probably breaking through into that corporate culture and having to suddenly deal with different departments, whereas perhaps previously you've worked in smaller teams and someone's always yeah. going to assist you or you've nowhere to go. And now you're going to a department where you're a stranger or treated as a number and you found that a little bit challenging. What do you think helped you to overcome that? This was specifically in my previous role. And uh, at the end of the day, it's just really about just having a chat, more of a, you know, impromptu, informal, like meeting within the canteen, like speaking to the right people within those departments that may not be the head of the department, you know, befriending people. It's just being sociable in that sense, like um, throwback to the training videos of IAPP, but like having a coffee with someone and then kind of bringing up privacy in that sense and more of a conversational aspect, like can make a world of difference. And it's all about you making that step to you know, engage other people in your organization, because if you don't engage, you're always going to be seen as, you know, the police, the policeman kind of thing, where everyone's like, oh, he's here because something's happened and no one's going to like give you full info. Whereas if you kind of befriend people, you'll get a lot of access to information. Like one thing I really enjoyed was once I put in the training program internally and we had everyone subscribe to that and we're doing it, I then felt like my role became a lot easier just by the fact that I felt like I had almost like a network of eyes all over the company now, where if there was something that I wasn't even aware of in, you know, in any capacity, someone would then inform me like, hey, are we sure we're doing this right? Can you look into this? And that in conjunction with, I guess, kind of putting yourself out there within your own organization makes it more easier for people to approach you when there is an issue. Sometimes personal experience of even outside of privacy and before my career in privacy is when there is a problem, sometimes people don't want to say anything because maybe they'll be blamed for it or something like that. And it's like, you kind of have to balance that yourself as a privacy professional, because you don't want to also be Mr. Scary, but you also kind of need to have that good balance of being approachable, but also knowing when to be like, right, this is actually very serious. You need to stop this or you need to fix this or we need to change this as well. Thank you. Some great tips there for people in their careers. So what do you think the data privacy industry will look like in five years? I mean, coronavirus has helped digitize most economies now by a massive rate, you know, well, way, I think faster than it was supposed to be within the next like five to 10 years, even now with how everything's progressed. So as you mentioned, I'm a privacy analyst for the Americas and Caribbean. There's been a lot of movement in the US. Virginia's just passed their law. You know, Washington is still discussing. There's still plenty of states that are 
looking into it. And even from a federal aspect, there's still movement going on in that sense. For sure, within the next five years, we'll probably see more laws get into play. At least, you know, like I mentioned earlier, within the next 10 years, there'll be so many like different privacy regimes out there. It's a very exciting time to be in this industry. It's a very exciting time to even get into this industry because GDPR has been the massive game changer globally. Now everyone's trying to either have their own version, but it's almost like different versions of the GDPR almost because everyone does want access to the European market. And to get that, you need the adequacy rating. You know, everyone's really pushing that. And so I expect it to be even bigger and better. I wouldn't be surprised to see is probably like more actions from the regulators in general, because I think the more time they're getting now with the GDPR, especially in Europe, the more examples they can kind of see from their own, you know, from other member states to kind of figure out, okay, what do we need to do there? I'm like a personal big fan of the Spanish Data Protection Authority, the AEPD. Because they're very active, they're very like no holds barred kind of thing. Absolutely, and, um, and I can definitely imagine other European states will look at that and be like, okay, you know, we've now got a bit of a example to kind of rely on. And 100% other non-EU countries will look at that and say, okay, like I mentioned, the laws are some of them are similar. Some of them still rely on the same principles of let's say the facilitation of data subject rights. If they see under the maybe the GDPR regime that they've taken this action, they've given a very big fine to a very big company. If that same company has done the same issue in a non-EU state, that data protection authority could always look at what has happened with other countries in relation to the same issue. And that can potentially influence their decision according within the remits of their own law. It's a very exciting time, for sure. Is there any further advice you would have for someone who's looking to become a privacy professional or looking to get to the next stage of their career? Obviously, a good shout has always been, you know, getting your certification sorted. There's plenty of avenues now. You yourself provide that training. Many, many organizations now also provide their own trainings as well in regards to different certifications. And not just with IAPP, but I'm saying like even different certifications within cybersecurity, for example. If you kind of want to show yourself to stand out, obviously experience helps, but sometimes like extra certificate can be a game changer. You having a certificate in a specific framework for cybersecurity, for example, can make all the difference almost now. You know, as it isn't a very exciting time to be in this market, it's also a competitive market, you know, for sure. And so you need to be able to differentiate yourself from the competition. That's why, like, for example, yes, I'm at One Trust Data Guidance, but I still go out of my way to voluntarily help small, you know, organizations, startups and stuff like that with their own privacy issues or even networks who aren't even registered as an entity yet, you know, deal with their, like, let's say if they want to have questions on marketing, it's just all about being able to kind of show that privacy isn't just a job to you it's a it's a hobby almost you kind of need to then separate yourself from the competition so that's probably my biggest advice don't just think that because you're currently in one job that's the game changer like it's also about what you're doing outside of your job you know to make that difference you know even if it's in your local community just basically being able to just say that i help this organization i help my local library for example that's a still a big difference maker Two pieces of advice from Alex is number one is get involved outside of your job. Go and get involved, even if that's helping something as small as your local library or your local community or your local places of worship. Go and do something that makes you stand out from the competition. And number two, it's really crucial to get those additional credentials, the certifications, the training to demonstrate that you actually have this knowledge or you have a certain level of knowledge. And that will really set you apart from the competition. Although this is a booming industry, it is very competitive and people only want to hire the best. 
And the only way you can demonstrate you're worthy and you bring more value is by demonstrating where you've added previous value so you can bring that to an organization. Pretty much nailed it on the head. Amazing. And some great advice. Once I kind of got that exposure to privacy, you know, as cheesy or whatever you want to say, as it sounds, I fell in love with privacy. You know, I felt like it's a much better area to work in. It was way more comfortable. It's way more impactful. For me, anyway, personally, the, the work I was doing internally in that association, like it was nice to see fruits of your labor in action. I mentioned before that whole training program of creating that privacy culture was one of my favorite things to do, where people would look at me and be like, ah, and they would like shred information, you know, that they no longer need. And it was always nice to see that. Whereas with law, being a paralegal is rough. Being a paralegal is tough. You're not that well treated. You're not that well paid. I just felt I'm enjoying privacy way more. In terms of like a social life and a family life, I can actually have one in privacy. Whereas with law, like it really depends on what area you're in and how busy your firm can be. But I've heard like horror stories of people working 72 hours straight. I've heard others where despite being after hours, they're even working from home. They're working like till two, three in the morning. And it's just like, yeah, I'm not interested in that. Like, okay, yes, the wages may be great at some point. With privacy, at least you know that you know, once you kind of get the ball rolling, you're going to be in very responsible positions, doing a lot of impactful work, icing on the cake being the there's good money to be made as well. That definitely was a big motivational factor for me, the fact that I'm enjoying the role. I was enjoying data protection work way more than I was doing the paralegal stuff. I was still interested. I was still finding it interesting dealing with different contracts and dealing with like, you know, leases and all this stuff. But it was really the privacy work that I was like looking forward to most. It's like, when's the next training session that I'm going to give? I called my training session hashtag ask Alex, you know, and I made it like completely open to everyone. Everyone had like their own different like levels of knowledge of IT, let alone privacy. And so just to kind of have that full on open door policy saying like, no matter how silly you think the question may be, just ask it because <laughs> sometimes that can be a major difference maker between us having an internal meeting or a meeting with the ICO. You know, it's always been nice in that regard. So yeah, that definitely was a easy switch for me with no regrets. I mean, I definitely am grateful to the experience I learned and the knowledge I gained from my degrees for sure. But if I was asked, what would you change? Absolutely nothing. What frustrated you most about being a paralegal? Sometimes it can be like overly competitive. You know, before I even did the LPC, there was like, you know, we're looking for someone with an LPC for a paralegal role. I was like, okay, cool. And then when I come out of the LPC, they're like, oh, we need three years experience and LPC X, Y, and Z. And it's like, you know, it's now turning into that meme where it's like entry level position, years of experience, eight. And it's like, <laughs> I was at an entry level position now. Um, so there, there was that element. And then just, you want to kind of get involved with like the big things, the big projects and stuff like that, not just admin work. And sometimes like initially at the very least, the life of a paralegal is admin, you know, just making sure the files are all up to date and all correct according to whichever standards. Then I would see like the rest of the team, like working on big contracts and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I, I did just come out of law school. Like I can contribute something for sure. Yeah, I hear you. And I think a, a lot of people that come and join on the Privacy Pros Accelerator program is because they come from a place where they're frustrated. They've often done an LLM. Um, they've invested lots of time, energy and money in previous qualifications only to find the kind of work they're getting, the kind of career prospects they have. It's always unfulfilling. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons I see a lot of people joining the program is because they're fed up 
of being stuck. They're fed up of being rejected. They're fed up of putting in all that work, getting nothing back, called up when they're three minutes late into the office. And they're fed up of being treated as a child. And they want to really be treated as a professional. They want to do a meaningful job that is challenging and rewarding. And data privacy really offers that for all of those individuals. Literally 100%, uh, without a doubt. Like data privacy is like one of the roles that you can say at whichever level you are, you're making a difference. So even if, you know, someone might think, oh, but come on, like entry level privacy role, like what impact can you have? You can have a pretty big impact yourself. You know, even if it is amending the company's privacy notice, that is something that however many thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions of people will see. And that's your work, literally like they're on public display, like making sure that company doesn't have any issues on their privacy notice, even if it is a simple edit on Word, but you can at least say that's your edit. All right, cool. That was awesome. Amazing. And some great advice to end on there. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alex. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro. Please leave us a four or five-star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.